And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. Again, you can always follow me on Twitter for all the things I'm writing about, reading, and referring to not only on editions of Novak Now, but just on any day of the week. And that's my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, at JakeJakeNY. Um, on this edition of Novak Now, I would like to basically make a proposal for defining and enhancing and improving the relationship that everybody listening and, and hopefully people that you know as well that you could tell about this, everyone's relationship with the state of Israel and with Israel in general. Because, you know, as you go through life experiences, sometimes the things that you've always known to be true come become even more clear and you gain an ability because you've had a life experience that you didn't have before. You gain an ability to tell people about it in a way that you were not able to before or explain it to people. So before getting too abstract here, let me make this more personal for all of you. I have, a, I have two daughters. Those are my children. I have two daughters. And my elder daughter is about to go off, God willing, to college. She's doing the application processes now, getting some... Uh, getting some notifications from the schools, the whole thing. And it occurred to me that my following of my, my daughter's progress next year in college is a lot like the way that Jews who support the state of Israel or who should be supporting the state of Israel and who aren't or aren't paying enough attention, that is the way that Jews who support the state of Israel should be relating to Israel or finding out information about Israel. So let me make this a little bit more specifically clear. Let's say, forget my daughter for a second. Let's say you had a child who was a star athlete at a college or maybe even a professional team. And you really loved that child and you were really worrying about that child's success. It doesn't have to be sports. It could be anything. But let's say it's sports just for the sake of example. Would you wait for the newspaper account of how your child did in a particular sporting event that came out the next day or later than that even to find out how he or she did. Would you allow people who don't really know your child all that well or know the team that he was playing on or she's playing on to describe the event or tell you what happened? I think the easy answer to that question is no. You would either, maybe you would even be at the game. That would, of course, be the best level of following your kid's progress, but not everyone can do that, obviously. You would find a way to get firsthand or, or, and honest accounts of what's going on, and you would actively do so. In other words, the, mo the most importantly, it would not be a passive experience for you. In other words, you wouldn't just happen to hear about it if somebody came and told you. You would make sure and have a plan for finding out. And if that sounds like an extreme example of how we should be following events in Israel and trends in Israel, not just quote unquote news, but life in Israel and life in the state of Israel, religious life, secular life, the economics, defense, technology, food, culture, that whole thing. If you think that that's too extreme, the idea that you would actually actively have to be pursuing this information from firsthand, not, from firsthand people who you can trust. If you think that's too active, let me try to disabuse you of that thought. Because as Jews, now again, I, I, I believe that most of the people listening to the Nachum Siegel Network on any given day are probably very Zionist. 
are probably very supportive of the state of Israel. That's why I'm urging a lot of you listening to this to relate this to your friends and maybe family members who aren't as connected to the state of Israel emotionally. Don't think that they have that kind of a connection. And, or to explain it to people when they ask you about why you feel so strongly about it. But for those of you who think, I mean, there's going to be people, let's imagine there were a bunch of more secular or less Zionist Jews listening to this broadcast right now and thinking, well, gee, I, can't, you know, I, I, I feel good about Israel a little bit. I certainly hope, wish it the best, but it's not my, I don't think of it like a child, my own child. I'm not, I'm not really that interested in every little thing about it and, and, and in that way. And, and I have to say, if that's something that's coming out of your mouth or you know someone who's saying something like that as a Jew, that actually runs against more than 2,000 years of our tradition. We are, as a people, literally obsessed with the land of Israel. Now, that does not mean that Zionism as it, as it exists now or as, as it existed over even centuries is the essential aspect of Judaism. That, is, that will always be the Torah. Again, this is also a problem for a lot of secular Jews to embrace. They will embrace the cultural aspects maybe of Judaism. Maybe they like bagels. Maybe they like the food. Maybe they like Jewish comedians. Maybe they like uh, some other aspects of Jewish scholarship that aren't quote-unquote religious. But they'd reject the idea of you know being devoted or interested in the Torah. And I'm not even talking about following all the, all the, the, the Jewish laws. I'm just talking about the fact that this is the most important, that this is the heartbeat and the, the brain and all that wrapped up together of Judaism. But Israel is such an important component of all of that for the one simple reason being you can't observe all the commandments in the Torah without being in the land of Israel. If you really want to observe every single commandment in the Torah, you have to be in Israel, right? And for more than 2,000 years, the idea has been very much about, we've been very much centered as a people on our connection to the land of Israel and never losing it. I mean, for crying out loud, folks, we turn and face Jerusalem, no matter where we are in the world, when we pray three times a day. We mention the land of Israel and Jerusalem multiple times in all of our prayer sessions every single day. And this is not a new thing. This has been going on for millennia. So my point is, you shouldn't be asking, how can you expect people to be so obsessed or so active? Obsessed isn't the best word. So proactive, so focused on the state of Israel and the land of Israel. How can you expect that from people? When actually, this is what Judaism and, and, and Jewish practice has been requiring for, for forever, so it's not just, and I would argue now, it cannot be just about praying about Israel and facing towards Jerusalem. I think that ever since the, really, the, the resettlement of the land of Israel by Jews, again, remember, always remember that there have always been Jews who have lived in Israel, even when it got down to very low numbers. But when a massive new influx of Jews returning to the land of Israel in the 19th century began, ever since then, I think it has been really incumbent on Jews everywhere who consider themselves Jews, who consider themselves part of this community and part of the Jewish people, I think it has been incumbent upon us to be proactively searching out the events, the ups and downs, and, and, and the overall life of the land of Israel as if it were a child 
going off to college or going off somewhere where we do not want to lose contact with him or her. Now, just like children who leave home and being able to stay in contact with them has become so much more possible thanks to technology, there's a technology obviously can really help us do the same with, with Israel. And, of course, and I'm going to explain how that has been, hasn't completely solved all of our problems, but it can solve a lot of that problem. Um, so again, I, I think that just this life experience that I'm going through now of preparing to send my daughter off to college <clears throat> or away from home as she does a gap year, that kind of thing, has really put into a sharper focus for me what the relationship needs to be for Jews who are not living in Israel and the land of Israel, for those of us who, who are really connected to it. And again, I think it allows us to explain to somebody, you can't not think of Israel as a family member or as, like, as like a child, because this is what it means to be a Jew. Again, Israel, not the, old, not the, not the, not the, not the, not the thing, land of Israel. You could, obviously, you can be a Jew if you are not in Israel. And you can live as a Jew even if you're not focused on it as much as you should be. But it is so essential, and it is such an essential part of being a Jew that I think it's really, it's very, very difficult to not, to, to live as a committed Jew without actively, proactively seeking out what's going on in the land of Israel. Again, it may seem, sound extreme to some of you, even to some of you who are very pro-Israel, to hear that, you know what, there's basically a requirement for me, for me to be proactive, for all of us, to proactively search out information about the status of life in Israel. And I think that there's a lot of ways to look at it. It could be if you have a lot of personal connected family in Israel, finding out what their lives are like and making sure that you're, up, you know, you're following up on it just like you, as you would if they, if they were a child, but they actually might be a child. If you have a child in the land of Israel, you'll, you'll know this experience firsthand. You'll know what I'm talking about. But the land of Israel is, is, is very much at the core of living as a Jew. Even if you're not very, very religious Jew, but if you're a Jew who's going to practice and live a Jewish life, the land of Israel is, is something you can't get away from. It's, it's, I mean, it's part of our name. It's where we pray. It's, again, it's the direction towards which we pray every day. And even if you're not someone who's praying every day, when you do go to the synagogue, that's, when, that's where you're looking. It's not like, it's not like you, you get to face somewhere else if you don't go to synagogue every week or every day. Okay, That's, that's really what, what we're talking about here. And I think that... We have so many advantages now over Jews, even in the recent past, but certainly a hundred years ago, when it comes to our ability to stay informed and stay connected to, to Israel, that it puts us in that position where we really are in a good place. And again, I, I want to talk about some ideas I have to make it even easier to pull together all these disparate technological advantages that are, that are, are opportunities that are out there to really fulfill our obligation of, as being connected to the land of Israel and to the state of Israel as we should be. Now, I want to use another religious, uh, I, I want to use another metaphor here that is a, certainly a well-known metaphor in Jewish tradition. Even people who are not very religious will know what I'm talking about here. Because I want to talk about, this, about how we can learn a little bit more. I want to explain again a little bit better what it means to be connected to the land of Israel and why this is so important to me and why I'm making a point of this now because I think that we are dealing with the situation with Jews, especially in the United States, but certainly in all Western countries, Britain, France, 
you know, all the and most of the, the and, and the other English speaking countries, where there is a confusion about what it really means to understand what's going on in Israel. There's confusion about what's really going on there. There's confusion about the truth of Israel's daily plight, Israel's daily successes and failures and all of that. And I think there's confusion about that. And I think it is very similar to, again, the very familiar metaphor, the very familiar story that we all know from the Passover Haggadah. I know we just finished Hanukkah and it's not the time of year to be talking about Passover. But in the story, you know, in our, in our Pesach Haggadah, we talk about the four sons. You know, and most of you are familiar with what I'm going to say. We, early on in the Seder, we have the story of the four sons. The wise son, the wicked son, the simple son, and the son who is too young or doesn't even know how to ask a question. I think that the four sons are a great way to understand how so many and maybe even too many Jews throughout the world approach Israel and come across with Israel. Now, we have wise sons and we have wise daughters. We have wise men and women who understand that Israel, what I was just talking about to begin the program here, we, we have a lot of wise Jews who understand that the fate of the Jewish people is inextricably tied to the land of Israel and that they actively pursue either living there or being so well-informed about what's going on and making sure that they really are knowledgeable about the truth of, of life in Israel, the truth of its challenges, the truth of its successes, all that kind of stuff. And they really get into it. Just like we say about the wise son goes off and studies every little bit of the laws of the, of the holiday of Pesach and the story of the Exodus and all of that. I think that there's a lot of that in the Jewish community. And I would say that there's so many of the Jews who have actively made a point of going to live in Israel as, to, as, as a major purpose in their life certainly qualify that way. Now, there are also people who I would describe are very similar to the wicked son, people who deliberately attack Israel, deliberately criticize Israel. And they do so, whether they realize it or not, just like the wicked son, as a way to exclude themselves from the Jewish community. In other words, they may not realize it, but Jews who actively criticize and attack the land of Israel, the state of Israel... And I'm not talking about people who are complaining about little you know, problems in the life of Israel's government or issues in the government. You, I'm very critical of the fact that they've had all these election and coalition problems. I'm critical of some of the education issues in Israel. I think we all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who say that, is, that the government of Israel is evil, the people that say the state of Israel is a, is a bad thing in the world. I'm talking about those kinds of people. And we all know, sadly, many Jews who join that chorus. Now, I know it might sound knee-jerk and really too easy to say, but yes, those people are very reminiscent in my mind of the wicked son that we talk about at the Seder. Why? Because I don't think that their anger at the state of Israel and their hatred for the state of Israel and their slander of the state of Israel is really based so much on the facts as much as it's based on their desire to separate themselves from the Jewish people as a whole, just like the wicked son was scorning and scoffing at the practices of the Seder and the practices of the Passover holiday and you know, the, basically the judgment that's given to that wicked son in the, in the Haggadah is that like you, if you had been in Egypt at the time of the Exodus, you wouldn't have been included, just like some other Jews were also not participating in and joining in with their own community at that time. And I think that 
no matter how much certain critics of Israel say that they are religious Jews, people like Peter Beinart, you know, who still says he's a, a modern Orthodox Jew, no matter how much they say that, their actions speak louder than words. His actions as someone who is actively separating himself and calling his fellow Jews murderers and killers or whatever he, he, he does and people like him do, he is clearly trying to separate himself. He is clearly trying to make himself outside of the community, someone who can be said, he, he's not going to go around and say, hey, I'm a modern Orthodox Jew and just say, I'm an Orthodox Jew. He'll always add that I'm an Orthodox Jew who doesn't think that, the, that Israel should have, um, you know, the government of Israel should have sovereignty. The, that the government of Israel is, is in any way has any moral authority or that kind of stuff, or the people of Israel have any of that. He is actively separating himself from the Jewish community, despite the fact that there are some things that he says that seem to be connecting himself to the Jewish community. Again, just like the wicked son. The wicked son is, is ostensibly at the Seder. He showed up, right? He did come to the Seder before he scoffed at it. So it is a bit of a mixed message. You're like, well, you're here, but you're trying to tell us that we're doing stupid stuff. You're here, but you're attacking us. And that's not enough. You can't just be here. If you're going to be here, you need to say, I'm going to be part of this community. I may have some, I'm going to have some questions about it. Um, but it's not to set up or to create a reason for me to walk away and be different. And I think that that's really... Again, there are so many organizations that claim to be these, they're Jewish organizations that are anti-Israel. I can name a few of them, and I hate to do it. Like, If Not Now is one of them. Trua is another. There's a lot of them. I hate to give them even any publicity to say their names. But these are organizations that say they are Jewish. And I don't doubt the Jewish lineage of the people in the organizations for the most part. Every once in a while, someone comes around, it turns out that they actually weren't halakhically, you know, Jewish, legally Jewish. But for the most part, I think that they are. I'm not denying that. But they are literally looking to very much separate themselves from the Jewish community. They are tr- they're not trying to say, hey, we represent most Jews. The, the community should do what we say. They're re- that's not, I mean, they might say that something, but what they really want is to separate and to leave the Jewish community. And by the way, this has been the case for a long time. We've had a lot of Jewish groups who have rejected the majority uh, path of the Jewish people, have rejected the connection to Israel, have rejected the connection to the Torah, and they eventually don't become Jews anymore. They all say, well, we're still ethnically Jewish, but we're not going to follow the Torah, or we're still ethnically Jewish, but we're not going to support Israel. Those groups don't have a very long shelf life as Jews. And that's happened every single time that we've had groups that have separated themselves in that way, in that key ideological way. That's happened all the time. And so sadly, we do have a lot of wicked sons out there. But really, the question here that we really need to address, listen, the really pro-Israel types who are ensconced, either living in Israel or really really knowledgeable and, and, and seeking out all the information they can get about Israel, the wise sons out there, they're taken care of. The wicked sons out there, you know, maybe they can be convinced, but if they're truly looking to separate themselves from the Jewish people, even if they're living in Israel, you know, because a lot of them are, um, that, that's kind of a lost cause for the most part also. The causes that we really need to focus on here are the simple son from the Seder and the, and the son that doesn't know how to ask a question. Those are the groups that we really need to focus on because I think most Jews fall in those last two categories when it comes to Israel. Most Jews fall into those last two categories when it comes to religious practice and religious study as well, but that's another discussion. Most Jews I know will say, 
will be very simple and say like, well, I like Israel or, or you know, I, I support Israel or I want to know about Israel. But they don't even go further than that. They don't really know where to go for information. They don't know how to do it. And they really need to be helped. Now, in the Haggadah, the simple son is basically told a one-sentence answer about how God came and, 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 and freed the Jewish people from slavery, and now we, we thank and celebrate that. But thank him and celebrate that. But we have to do a, little, a lot better than that because a lot of the simple sons in the Jewish world today, especially in the United States, are not intellectually challenged. It's not like they're really simple people. It's just that they have a very precarious and not close enough and strong enough connection to what is the reality of Israel. They don't really know anything about it. They might be able, they might be very well educated. They might be able to follow it on a map, find it on a map, but they just don't know where to get the story. They don't know where to get the, the relevant history and they don't know where to get the day-to-day information. And they need to be helped with that. Now for the people who don't even know how to ask, are pretty much the same story. There might be people who might not even think about Israel when they talk about being Jewish. It may just be about Hanukkah for them or the high holidays or Passover, but they don't really know about Israel. Even if they, however, if they're paying attention, if they're paying attention to the celebration of any of those holidays, when they do show up in a synagogue, if they do, if they do celebrate at home for Passover or Hanukkah, Israel's all over the place in those holidays. And so they, but they may not even know that they should be asking, hey, wait a minute, I noticed in Hanukkah we were talking about this temple in this place called Jerusalem. Tell me more about it. They may not even be in that place, but they should if they pay attention a little bit. So we have to get them to pay attention. It has to be done. Um, so how do you do this? <laughs> how can we help the overwhelming majority of the world's Jews who, again, I would put into the category of a simple son or the son who doesn't even know how to ask when it comes to their relationship and understanding of Israel. How do we do it? If they're relying on when, when and if you get a headline in, on CNN or MSNBC or the New York Times, that won't work. That won't work. You've heard me say dozens of times here on different editions of Novak Now about how there are so many problems with the established news media in the United States and throughout the world. And the number one problem is that its number one bias, its number one leaning is to publicize negative stories. So you're not going, even if it isn't attacking Israel, it's going to be a story of something bad happening in Israel that will have a million times better chance of getting covered in, the news, in, in that news media where passive people get their news because mainstream news media, I think, might actually have to be renamed passive news media. The people, you know, it, there's a reason why most of CNN's viewers are probably people who are stuck in an airport. There's a passivity involved with mainstream news media now. And I would include the New York Times in that to some degree, at least for people who live in the Northeast. Because it's not just people who are actively reading the New York Times, the edition of the New York Times, but understand that a lot of the television newsrooms use the New York Times as their rundown, as their content first, choice, first source of, of information. That's something that's been described by a lot of people, not even just people like me who have worked in newsrooms, but it, that happens to be the case, sadly. So I happen to think that, and a lot, listen, the New York Times and CNN has a lot, have a lot of people on staff at those organizations that actually are actively against the state of Israel, but even if they weren't, the bias there would be to, prevent, would be to not show much news from there anyway, and when they do, it would be about bad stories, bad things that are happening, things that wouldn't really give you a real picture about what's going on in Israel. Again, that family connection that you have to have, would you allow somebody who either A, doesn't like your child, 
or B, doesn't really understand what's going on or only wants to show bad news stories, would you allow them to be your source for information? And, you know, this is what leads to so many people. You know, how many times have we been to an event at a synagogue? And I'm talking here mostly to my friends who are conservative or reform Jews. We go to an event at a synagogue that's about Israel and we talk about it. And most of the questions are from people who haven't really been following the news about Israel much. Every once in a while, they check it out. And, it's some, and the one time that they do every few weeks, it's something that they don't like and they want to ask about it. If you go to a conservative or reform synagogue today and you have a discussion about Israel, most likely the only thing they're going to want to talk about is something that they saw in the New York Times. And it's going to be negative. And that's not the way you have a relationship with someone that you love or something that you love. That's not how it works. And I think that there are Orthodox Jews who fit into this category as well. I'm not trying to just demonize conservative and reformed Jews. But this is too much of a, a too, too often we see this. It can't be a passive relationship. It can't be just because you saw something in the New York Times once in a while. That, I can guarantee you, is going to create a bad relationship, if, if any relationship at all, between you and the state of Israel. And again, it's not even just about the negative, the anti-Israel bias that a lot of people at the New York Times have. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about just the not constant information, the lack of constant information, the lack of overall big picture, and that bias towards negativity that you're going to see even in a newspaper that might be more favorable to Israel. Uh, and by that, I mean just people who work there who might be more favorable to Israel. That's the way, that's what I'm talking about. So what can we do to fix this? Well, a lot of us, in, in the world of the iPhone and the smartphone, whether you have a, an iPhone or a Samsung or whatever you have, the chances now that people have to get almost, I would say almost one-stop shopping for daily, three, four times a day, quick updates about what's going on for Israel and Israel's concerns around the world are certainly available to us. I would highly recommend downloading apps from the Jerusalem Post, downloading I-24 news apps, downloading apps from a number of the other news media sources, or, for better, or, or downloading the, you know, the, the, the alert apps from the IDF. Have all those things that they pop up on your phone. I think the Jerusalem Post is, is the first one I mentioned because they do a very good job of alerting you several times a day. And by several, I usually mean like three, four times a day. Not too many times a day is it going to pop up on your phone. But they do a very good job of not only doing that with, I think, the right amount of regularity, but they, do, they write it in a very good way, and I think they choose the right stories to alert people about for the most part. I think that, however, what, what there sh- needs to be is an even more of a one-stop shop, another place that will have so much more of the information and that it comes to you as it happens and it's important. I spoke uh, last week, I noticed two huge stories that were connected to Israel, that were, very, that were really Israeli stories, that the entire world should have been interested in, but weren't covered. And a lot of it had to do with the biases in the news media that I talked about earlier. But there was one story where, again, I only learned about this because of the alerts that popped up on my phone, and because I'm actively looking for these as someone who's connected to the land of Israel like it is my own family, because it is my own family. But there was a story about how an Israeli company called Netafim has solved the rice paddy irrigation problem. Look it up. Netafim, rice paddy. It's an amazing story. And then, of course, there was another story last week from a more major news standpoint, although I think actually the rice paddy irrigation story is even more important to the world, but also very important to the world are very successful missile defense tests that Israel carried out that really improved Israel's defense stature even more. 
These are two stories that are important to the whole world because the world needs both the rice paddy irrigation and the better missile defense tech that Israel uh, tested in that in those tests. But my point is, here is how we have to connect to Israel. This must be an active relationship, as if it is your own child abroad or out of town, and you're checking on him or her because you love them. And everything that I'm saying, as extreme as that may sound to you, as that metaphor might be so stretched, understand that that is perfectly in line with the way the Jewish outlook on Israel has always been. This is the way it has to be now in the 21st century. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.